This podcast touches upon some complex topics. The creators have endeavored to deal with the issues honestly and with the sensitivity they deserve. They have also reached out to all key players for their comments and have sought to present a balanced and factual account. We ask that listeners consider each episode in its full context. I live to eat rather than eat to live. I'm the type who would rather go hungry than have terrible food. I send things back to the kitchen if they're not up to standard, even wonton noodles from hawker stores. In 2004, Josie Lau did an interview with The Straits Times in which she talks about her discerning Epicurean tastes. That interview was repurposed by the paper in mid-April 2009 when she became president of AWARE and a new appetite grew for details about her life. We reached out to Josie, as we did the entire new guard for this podcast, and she did not respond. So we had a friend read out some of her lines for this episode. This means that, like your average saga junkie in 2009, what we know is entirely based on what was reported in the press. The 2009 Straits Times profile also quotes Josie's friends and colleagues, describing her as sociable, chatty, and well-groomed. Though, quote, none of her colleagues and ex-colleagues who spoke to the Straits Times had heard her speak about involvement in volunteer work, they were well acquainted with her gourmet and jet-setting lifestyle, cultivated in part by her work organizing glamorous fashion, food and lifestyle events, and accompanying her doctor husband to medical conferences overseas. Academics, lawyers, journalists, social workers... That's the typical AWARE president profile. As a lawyer, Claire Nazar fit this mould, homophobic sentiments notwithstanding. This is not to say that AWARE did not have its share of the glamorous. But even the most wealthy and well-groomed of AWARE presidents have historically had some professional grounding in gender theory or social justice work. Josie Lau, in short, was not your typical AWARE president. Drama 2 apparently at the AWARE office. Let me make this very clear. Today it is not that we are acting new blood, yeah? Our concern is that the vision and objectives of AWARE are maintained. Claire asked them, is there a conspiracy? And they got very angry about it. The aggression was terrible, you know. What's the purpose of being aggressive? I had to do my job as centre manager of AWARE. I couldn't conflate or conflict the two roles. I'm Bharati Jagdish. This is Saga, Episode 7, Showdown. Hi, my name is Josie. Josie was 48 in 2009. With her girlish voice and a careful way of articulating words, she impressed at the annual general meeting when she earned a whopping 81 votes. My background is in the um, area of events and sponsorship marketing. Uh, I've been with the STAT board for, uh, Singapore Tourism Board for almost 20 years behind key events like the Great Singapore Sale, the Fashion Festival, the World Gourmet Summit, um, and Food Festival. So I bring with me a network of uh, corporate partners that we could tap on for your sponsorship, for your fundraising. Josie liked Christian music, the Straits Times reported and often advised friends to seek potential spouses in church, though she herself had met her husband while playing squash at the Pine Tree Club. When she was 28, she married him. 
Alan Chin, a general practitioner who owned several clinics around Singapore. After Josie became president, the Straits Times dubbed her and Alan a Where's New Pa couple. Because Alan, too, was a new AWARE associate member in 2009. He's the man who volunteered to be a scrutineer at the AGM and whose anti-gay letters turned up when Ju Him googled his name. Alan Chin was in fact an exceptionally prolific homophobe. In the span of just four months in 2007, he wrote six letters to the Straits Times forum page about homosexuality. A major theme in his writing is the, quote, high risk of HIV contraction from gay sex. In one letter, Allen cited an unnamed U.S. survey that claimed that 75% of gay men have more than 100 partners and 28% have more than 1,000 partners, numbers that sounded dubious to some. For example, an urban men's health study conducted from 1996 to 1998 found that the average gay man in the U.S. had fewer than 50 sexual partners over his lifetime. Anyway, back to Josie. In the press, she described herself as a feminine feminist. Was that just a line? Or did she really care about equal rights and opportunities for women? Well, one thing we do know about Josie is that motherhood was a big preoccupation for her. She talked about her daughters over and over. They were her primary motivation, she said, to improve the lot of women in Singapore. Uh, As a mother of two teenage uh, daughters, I see them struggling with their self-image, beauty, whether they're fat or slim, you know, whether they're trans. So this is one area that... um, I'm I'm very passionate about. Josie herself had three sisters, as well as a brother. She told The Straits Times that growing up, she had often overheard relatives telling her dad to invest only in his son. They said that girls are like a basin of water to be thrown away when they get married. Her father, luckily, had not listened. She said, and I quote, "'He gave us all equal opportunities.' and gave me a nurturing environment where my gender was not seen as a handicap. That story would perhaps have garnered Josie some sympathy from newspaper readers, but her quasi-feminist narrative was quickly lost amid the New Guard's next attempts at publicity. The New Guard released their first press statement on 15th April about Josie's new presidency. If they had hoped it would quell the media storm brewing around aware, they were mistaken. President Josie was almost instantaneously controversial. Josie was working in 2009 as vice president of consumer banking group Cards and Unsecured Loans for DBS, the Development Bank of Singapore, a major local bank. Unexpectedly, DBS put out a statement of their own on 15th April, the night of Josie's appointment, expressing their disapproval of her taking the AWARE presidency without informing them first. The newly elected president, Josie Lau, who took up the post after member Claire Nazar walked out, has come under fire from her employer, DBS Bank, for breaching the staff code of conduct in her decision to run for the presidency of AWARE. A public rebuke? Just hours after her presidency became official, it was certainly unusual, and it sparked a little firestorm of op-eds in the news. Some criticised Josie for disrespecting her employer. 
Others speculated that DBS's rebuke had sexist undertones. To make things worse for Josie, the Straits Times then reported that her division at DBS had been responsible for a scandal back in November 2008. It had chosen the Singapore branch of Focus on the Family, the notoriously anti-abortion, anti-gay Christian organization, as a charity beneficiary. This had brought a wave of flack onto the bank in 2008, with some customers closing their accounts in protest. So, when it was dredged back up in April, DBS must have groaned. Local internet pounced. Singaporean blogger Gilbert Koh of Mr. Wang Says So urged his readers to follow him in what he called a, quote, small, symbolic gesture. I will call DBS and terminate my credit cards. The DBS person on the line will ask me why. They always ask for that kind of customer feedback. And I will say that it's because of their head of marketing, Josie Lau. I will say that I have a very poor opinion of her behaviour in the Aware Saga. And for that reason, I have decided to stop using DBS credit cards. Furthermore, I will request for my feedback to be given to DBS's senior management. It's a matter of principle. I'm only one customer but I will do what I think is right. This mess was getting bigger and bigger, but Josie was not one to shy away from attention. Within five days of becoming aware president, she had launched a mini media offensive, or perhaps defensive is more accurate, as she worked to craft a sort of innocuous who, me, persona. On 18th April, The Straits Times published a letter by Josie with the headline, We're ready for the task, but why are some so angry at us? In the face of intense media and cyber scrutiny, I must ask this question. Why have some people cast such aspersions on our good intentions? Why are they so angry at us? We've only just begun. We seek to improve the quality of life of women in Singapore. We are pro-women, pro-family and pro-Singapore. What is so objectionable about that? Does the old guard harbour an alternative agenda? If so, they should disclose their motives and objectives fully and honestly. She ended by noting that as a secular organisation, aware cherished viewpoint diversity. 24th April, The Straits Times. Another letter by Josie, who this time wanted to clarify the situation with Brema Mahdi and the CEDAW subcommittee. Brema, you'll remember, had received an email from the new guard telling her that she was no longer in charge of aware submission to CEDAW. The United Nations Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women. Contrary to what Brema had been telling people, Josie said Brema had not been sacked. Her term had simply expired. But what raised everyone's heckles most of all was Josie and Honorary Treasurer Maureen Ong's appearance on a talk show, Talking Point, on 19th April. It was the New Guard's first interview after three weeks on the scene, a coup for producer Channel News Asia, and an occasion for the old guard to finally get some answers. Or so they hoped, anyway. Josie and Maureen were interviewed by Talking Point hosts Deborah Soon and Pian Balji. And gotta give it to the hosts. They tried to get at the heart of the matter. But time and again, Josie and Maureen gave unsatisfying answers. 
For a start, they said that the new guard had kept mum thus far because they were forbidden by the constitution to speak. You've been keeping quiet so far. Why now? Why are you? Have, why have you agreed to speak to us now? Well, earlier we couldn't speak because there wasn't a precedent, and under the constitution we could only speak through the president. The president is the appointed spokesperson for the aware, and uh, it's for her to speak and represent aware to the external parties. Yes. So, so until I was fully appointed on Wednesday night, I couldn't say anything. And then in the last two days, because of the controversies, we thought it is best not to engage in tick-tack kind of discussion. As usual, the new guard pled deference to the letter of the law. But this time, it wasn't even accurate. A West constitution allows the vice president to deputize for the president in the latter's absence. The exco could have spoken to the press at any time. I really don't understand why there's so much anger is directed at the new committee. We're here to further the cause of women, which is, I don't think, any different from what they're doing. And there has been called by the old guard for new blood. And we're taking on what they have said. And if you look at the membership over the years, it's a 24 years old organization, mind you. And it had gone down to as low as 200 plus. At the end of last year. At the end of last year. So what has, what has happened to your organization? Has it lost its focus? So do you, do you think the, the organization has lost its focus? Well, I think that AWARE has become too diversified. What, what do you mean by diversified? They're just moving into too many areas and not going into depth. Okay. So what the new committee wants to do is that, like any good corporation, if you're diversified too much, consolidate. And with, as with any new committee, we know that resources are always limited. Let's take a look and review what's done in the past that's good, let's keep, and what new ideas we have to bring. So it is bringing back to basic. Too diversified. That was also a head-scratcher. When Balji asked another big question, what exactly was wrong with the old aware, Maureen launched into an answer that seemed even more oblique. One, there was a proposal to give voting rights to men. Okay, Men are already associate members of AWARE, uh, but they are not given voting rights because we are an association of women. Yeah. In fact, this proposal had been put up at the previous AGM in 2008, and by a majority vote, it was thrown out. Okay. And now it's being raised again. Right. Second, there is a proposal to give uh, voting rights to expatriate women. Aware does the shadow report to CEDAW for Singapore. You know, so again, there's a question there. And lastly, uh, there was a proposal to give voting rights to minors, uh, teenagers from 15 years old to 18 years old. And these minors need parental consent to join Aware. The hosts didn't know what to make of this. Were they saying that the problem with the old aware was that it had considered allowing men, foreign women and minors to vote? That was enough to provoke a takeover? It was all rather confusing. So, uh, can I ask a very direct question? Yes. This was not a well-organised, well-thought-through constitutional coup? No. Not that I know of. I, I, I didn't know her until we started working on the... Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I know. 
Balji tried again. Why had they taken over a where? I'll tell you that, okay. I have only been appointed president on Wednesday night, just hardly three, four days ago. And the new committee hasn't even had time to really set about working. And we were channeling all our energy towards dealing with all these issues, okay. Now, coming back to your question about what we're doing is so different. Now, on a broad level, you may think there's not much difference. It's still training, singles, financial training, whatever. Discrimination. Discrimination. At the broad level, it's still the same. Okay. But we are coming in with new ideas. Okay. We had earlier said we are pro-family, we're pro-women, pro-Singapore. Now, one of the things I'm not privy to discuss exactly the ideas of what we're doing. But one of the things that we're doing, you know, MM. MM refers to Minister Mentor, the title Lee Kuan Yew held from 2004 to 2011. You know, MM had been talking about mentorship. Mm-hmm. So we are looking at how we can equip our younger women to take on leadership position. Mm-hmm. So we would like to start a program called Wind Beneath My Wings, mm-hmm. okay, where we want to pair younger women with leadership potential with established women of society, mm-hmm. like Claire Chang, mm-hmm. Tang Chi, you know, some other women. If AWARE finds that a member, a, a, a woman you mm-hmm. know, in Singapore, has been discriminated against because of her sexuality, what will be your stand on that? Okay, AWARE is a secular organization. Mm-hmm. Our, we're not there to push our personal beliefs, our personal religious affiliations. We are all an inclusive sense. We don't discriminate people of any race, religion, you know, whether you're a man or a woman coming in. Okay. Now, talking about sexual discrimination, it is going to be a very controversial topic. And the new EXCO will have to take a look at this and see what is the direction we're going to take. We haven't even had a chance to discuss individual ideas yet. Mm-hmm. So just give us a chance. We want to quickly get on with work so that we can put on a platter to the public to tell you that's what we stand for. Like the New Guard's words at the AGM, when asked about their views on homosexuality, these answers struck many as hedging. The third talking point guest that night was Today reporter Lo Chi Kong, who made for an awkward third-wheel presence and said nothing of consequence. It begged the question, why hadn't the old guard been invited to say their piece? In fact, they had. Talking Point had prepared to have a representative of the old guard on the episode as well. But at the last minute, producers rescinded the invitation. Josie Lau, the rumours went, had refused to share the stage. No matter, the old guard was enacting a media strategy of their own through very different channels. I started to recruit people through Twitter, asking them if they would help with disseminating information. And I ended up recruiting uh, a small group of people uh, who were dedicated to keeping the hashtag alive, hashtag AwareSG, and also to think about what kind of messages that we needed to capture people's uh, attention and imagination. This is Robin Rayom. Robin is from Montreal, but she moved to Singapore in the 90s as a banker who also dabbled in digital media. 
In April 2009, when Robin read about a suspicious group of women who had taken over a where, I contacted uh, somebody I knew who knew the old guard uh, to offer my services, and that's how I ended up becoming in charge of the social media campaign. Tasked with garnering support, Robin and her team of Twitter recruits began putting out dozens of tweets a day on the old guard's We Are Aware account. They tried whatever tricks they could to get maximum attention. Twitter at the time was only three years old, so it wasn't like anybody was really an expert. We would share hints, secrets about, you know, what news is coming out next, maybe some unofficial discussions, uh, how we were getting involved, things that we heard people say, rumors about this, that, and the other, uh, stuff that maybe sometimes wasn't confirmed that we'd heard. So we were just filling in the gap for people who wanted to have more aware SG news. And there were lots of these people. More and more every day. People tweeting questions, profound observations, snarky jokes. It was thrilling to see how engaged they were. Though sometimes it was also a bit worrying. One of the main challenges is that you don't own a hashtag, right? Once your hashtag starts to trend, then other people will come in and use that hashtag for whatever, right? And whether it's they're selling penis enlargement toolkits or if they're just using it randomly because they want people to pay attention to them, this happened. And some of the people who used the hashtag maybe used language that was a lot more angry and hostile, uh, that maybe made us look like we were a lot more aggressive or hostile than we wanted to come across. I hereby announce Operation Leper. Henceforth, we will constantly remind everyone about these people, monitor who they are working for, which organizations they join, and who hires them. These characters are poison to civil society. If they are hired or appointed by advocacy, voluntary or political groups, we will oppose their employers. On 18th April 2009, an anonymous Singaporean blogger going by Akikonomu published a post entitled Operation Leper, In this post, he, or she, listed out the names, titles, employers and work addresses of all nine New Guard individuals, as well as Alan Chin. The intention, Akikonomu wrote, was to, quote, bar them from future roles in politics and civil society. It is our desire that these operators never find appointment in any advocacy or voluntary organizations ever again. A couple of days later, a follow-up post was published on the blog that extended Operation Leper to Exco member Lois Ung's company, Studio U. Studio U employed people with disabilities to make items sold at gift shops. Akikonomu called on readers to boycott all Studio U products and the stores that carried them. This is too indiscriminate, one commenter wrote. Lois Ung is the intended target here, but you're putting several disabled people in your crosshairs by proposing the above. Aki Kodobu, however, stood fast, replying, We do not view the disabled people at Studio U as Lois Ung's human shields. Boycotts are part and parcel of day-to-day life in the polity, the blogger wrote. Boycotts, public shaming. It was all coming to a head for the new guard as they carried on at the Aware Centre. 
fighting with direct services head Kerry Wilcock about the helpline, bickering with office manager Schutz Lee about website glitches, and preparing for the extraordinary general meeting, two weeks away. Operation Leper unnerved them, as well as another post that listed the schools that Josie's daughters attended, which its author later regretted and took down. But that wasn't all. An anonymous email came in from a, quote, jihadist sleeper who had joined a militant group of anti-Christians and threatened harm to the new guard's loved ones. The old guard and its associates had no idea where these threats were coming from or how seriously to take them. Here's Robin. Now, I feel pretty confident that if you identify as a jihadi, you are probably not uh, going to be interested in fighting for the rights of aware. It could just be some guy trying to make himself sound even scarier, not having any clue what a jihadi was, and just called himself the jihadist sleeper, which doesn't even make any sense. Whatever you made of the threats, everyone agreed that they were uncalled for, and they distracted from, and in some cases, exacerbated the real issues at hand. One afternoon, centre manager Schutz Lee found herself in one such predicament. Yeah, so it was, something came in the mail. Uh, again, Lynn was the bookkeeper who opened the, the, the mailbox, and then she came and we noticed there was this very unusual um, letter and when I held it up, I noticed that there was powder. So immediately, um, I, I, of course, I had to be cautious. There was a police post uh, in the next block. So I just took this uh, envelope to the police post. But before I went to the police post, I wrote an email to the exco to say there's this suspicious you know, uh, item and this is what I'm going to do. And I felt that I just had to do what I needed to do and um, you know, hand it over to the authorities. Later, we actually did get an official confirmation from the police that it was just talcum powder. It was addressed to Josie. Just talcum powder, not anthrax or anything like that. Schutz was relieved, and she felt she had done the right thing in going to the police. But uh, clearly, the new exco didn't appreciate it. Uh, Charlotte you know, criticised me for taking things into my own hands and um, not you know, letting them deal with it. They made it up to be um, a big thing, you know, that uh, I was, uh, you know, yeah, I was just doing things on my own. Insubordinate. Insubordinate. That word would return to haunt Schutz again very soon. It felt like every day in April 2009 was eventful. But everyone agrees that Thursday, 23rd April, was a landmark, a turning point in the saga. Schutz was in the office that evening. I had to stay back that night because Charlotte told me they wanted to see me that night. So that's why I was still there in the evening and that's how I saw that they were changing the locks. Around 7pm, she saw one of the new guard's husbands arrive with a couple of locksmiths. We saw him coming in with some contractors and they started to, you know, uh, do some wiring and, and, um, and fix the, um, the, the, the security scanner. Schutz was flabbergasted. Why hadn't she, as the centre manager, been told about this? And then so I confronted them. I said, what are you doing? And then, uh, and who, who gave you the right to do this? 
And I said, you know, I will go to the police. And he actually retorted me, yeah, sure, go to the police. You're always going to, you're always going to the police. So Schutz went to the police with one thought burning in her mind. You can't do this. I think it was really like, you know, taking over the citadel. It's like somebody storming into our Ministry of Defence. You know how you, how do you conquer another country? You basically take over the palace, the, you know, it's, a, it's like a coup. You take over. So that was actually like a physical takeover. And the other thing was, all our documents are in there, you see. All the intellectual property was in there. So I felt that, you know, we couldn't just let them take over the building or take over the office. Before I went to the police, I had already alerted, sent the word out to like Juhim Dana that this was happening. She called Maggie Thomas. I was out doing something in the afternoon with some friends when I got a call from Schutz to say they're changing the locks. And she went on, she was quite upset. So I asked, would you like me to come down? And she said, yes. So I dropped off my friends and I was already in the car. So I just headed towards aware. And Corinna Lim. I remember that I was at an office event and I'd just finished and I was, had drunk some wine and was on my way back home. And then I got this call from Shoots, very excited, very, very excited. She says, you have to come now, come now. Like, you know, they are, they are breaking down the doors and then the police are here and the reporters all over the place. How drunk were you? I don't, I, 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 I probably had a class. Okay. It's just that I don't take alcohol very well. So I just get very rid, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but not very drunk, right? <laughs> right? On my way, I called a few people and they said also they had heard the same thing and they were on their way. So we were all charging to this place where... And when I got there, yeah, you know, all the lights were on, the doors were open, the con- the, some contractor was there drilling at the door. And, and I this, this image of Schutz sitting there very agitated because she was having her lunch or, or dinner or something, eating chicken rice, sitting there and like, eating chicken rice at the same time. And there were police off. I think both sides had called the police at various points and the poor policemen, I think there was an NPP down the road. They were kind of bewildered. What's going on? What are these women going on about, you know? And the reporters were there as well. And then people were walking all over the place, cameras. Schutz had called the press too. Why not? So between the journalists, the police, the locksmiths and the old guard, suddenly the whole world had descended upon the aware centre. Everyone circled each other, warily, like rival gangs. Amidst the sound and fury, Corinna caught sight of a rather eerie image she won't soon forget. In the training room were four women sitting very quietly, heads bent, reading something. It was four of the new guard, led by VP Charlotte Lim, in the eye of the storm. They were still like statues. They were reading their Bibles, and they were... Reporters would pop in every now and again and asking questions, and they would just say, no comment. Charlotte, would you like to comment on what just happened? 
No. Um, they've said that you've changed a lot without informing anyone and just fired the centre manager. Would you like to comment? Mm-mm. This is an internal matter. And it was just surreal because outside, like, it was mayhem. All hell was breaking loose. And in there, you know, there was just like these four women just sitting reading Bibles and, and very serenely. And it was just really strange. The rest of the new guard, Josie, Jenica, Maureen and Lois, were nowhere to be seen. Then, Schutz was summoned by the new exco. I went to meet them and that's when they gave me my termination letter. What was their reason for terminating you? Um, they said that they looked at my contract. They, they realised that it's actually a, a part-time contract, contract, you know. And so they, they have already found someone who could do it full-time. And uh, so they just wanted me to leave ASAP. Also, Charlotte added, Schutz had been insubordinate. She had spoken to the press out of turn. When, Schutz asked, on 15th April, after the Exco meeting where Josie was appointed president, someone had told the press that Josie had been elected. And I corrected them on the spot in front of the press that, no, she was appointed. Technically, Schutz was right. But she had corrected the Exco in public. It was such a trivial thing, she had completely forgotten about it. Charlotte, however, had not. I was very indignant that, you know, my professional conduct was uh, uh, being called uh, into question, yeah. And I still remember what I said to them. I said, you have every right to do this to me, but I'm not accepting it. And I tore up the letter. And they just left it as that. Meanwhile, the showdown was peaking. More and more old members were coming. Quite, quite, quite a collection of people. And um, we just taking issue with them, you know, why are you changing the locks and security? How dare you tamper with our aware? The contractors, we told them to stop and we told the police to tell them to stop. And the contractors just said, look, you know, the, the, we've been hired to do this. And so they just completed the job and they left. The police and contractors departed, then the press. Eventually, it was just the old guard and the new guard the rest of whom had finally arrived at the centre. The two sides had never been like this before, together in a room. So we had a little confrontation. Corinna thought it was time for a formal introduction. She approached Jenica Chua. And I said, I'm Corinna. Oh, what's your name? And then she, she snapped, like, she said something, Jenica or something, and I said, is it Jenica with an E or with an A and and then she really snapped and growled at me and she said I, I, I told you what my name is and then she said it again like this she had spat it out it was as if she had seen the devil and I was the devil right? it, it, it was so fierce it was so fierce and I'm like I, I'm just asking your name because I, I didn't get it the first time the response was just so disproportionate to the question that I asked and I had asked in a very neutral way. Eventually, the fight died and everyone left. It was late, past 10pm. Schutz was still unemployed. The locks were still changed. The hullabaloo had been for nothing. Well, mostly for nothing. The evening's showdown at the Aware Centre did achieve one thing for the new guard. Inadvertently so, perhaps. 
it distracted key Old Guard personnel from a far more significant event happening at the same time, just a 15-minute drive away from the AWARE Centre. So as I recall, I was... Um I was driving towards the AWARE Centre. This is Chu Yijin, AWARE's Honorary Assistant Treasurer. Before the showdown erupted, Yijin had been heading over to the centre. She was supposed to make a presentation with her fellow EXCO member, Lois Ng. But on the road, someone called her. To let me know that there was a press conference going on and that perhaps I should try and find my way there. A press conference at Raffles Town Club called by AWARE's new EXCO? Ejin was on that EXCO, but this was the first she was hearing about a conference. She turned the car around. So I, I straight away I headed to the Raffles Town Club, not knowing what to expect. And then um, when I arrived, it looked like uh, everything was about to begin. Next time on Saga. Ejin, this is uh, internal matters between us. I think it's best that we settle it outside and separately from the media. How internal is it? Um, if I've been kept out in the dark and Josie has not replied to any of my emails. Now you're wondering why Dr. Theo Sumian is here today? I think I will leave it to her to tell you her perspective of what's going on with AWARE. Good evening. I'm here as feminist mentor to the women in the workplace. In the last 10 years, I've been mentoring women so that they become released to society to contribute to society. We reached out to members of the New Guard for this podcast. They either declined or did not respond to our interview requests. Saga is hosted by me, Bharati Jagdish. It was written and produced by Jasmine Ng and Kelly Liao. Audio post-production by Mocha Chai Laboratories, with sound design by Chong Sin Ying and Amelia Sai. Noraina Sapari was our associate producer, and Bali Kaur Jaswal was our story consultant. Original score by Wei Shen Din of the band Dot Jif, and additional music from the Free Music Archive under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial License. Artwork by John Albrecht. Gwen Lim was our marketing strategist. We received editorial assistance from Kaspan Paraskasis Narayan, Lim Tertien, Megan Tan, and a tireless group of interns. We're also grateful to Splice Studios, Neon Sound, and Lee Wong. Visit aware.org.sg saga for bonus clips, links to archival material, and interactive timeline character map, and more.